Hey, Consumed Listener, this is your host, Jamie Lewis. Before I start this episode, can I ask you a little favor? Will you please go to Apple Podcasts and rate and or review Consumed? It helps other like-minded people find the podcast and it gives love to the folks who sponsor it. And listen, if you don't have anything nice to say, well, just imagine me channeling your mother here, okay? Okay, here's the episode and thank you. It's Consumed, the conversational food and wine podcast covering the flavor of California's Central Coast and beyond. This season, I'm covering lots of different eaters, drinkers, thinkers, and makers, including a mushroom expert, the team behind San Luis Obispo County's first Michelin star, a family of winemakers, an outspoken wine and food critic, a culinary-obsessed high school student, local food activists, pupusa enthusiasts, state historians, and more. Hungry? Thirsty? Let's get consumed. The story of Chef Ricky Odbert and his restaurant, Six Test Kitchen, is one of remarkable extremes. After graduating from the California Culinary Institute in San Francisco, Ricky worked in kitchens across the Bay Area, including Postrio, Masa, and Spruce. Several years ago, he moved back to his hometown, Arroyo Grande, California, and started his own restaurant, serving multi-course, inventive, fine dining menus in his parents' garage. With just one other person working with him, Ricky steadily built a following until the health department showed up to shut it all down. Six Test Kitchen would reopen under a creative workaround and then move to Paso Robles to become the only restaurant of its kind on the Central Coast. It really is one of a kind in San Luis Obispo County, where it has recently earned our first and only Michelin star. A huge distinction for Ricky and his partner at the restaurant, Matt Carella, who is also a chef and now manages the wine program in front of house. Enjoy the stories about Six Test Kitchen from Chef Ricky Odbert and Matt Carella. So Ricky Odbert uh, and Matt Carella, both chefs, and sitting at my table. Thank you so much for coming. Thanks for having us. Happy to be yeah. here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I, I at least know that Ricky's a local boy. Are you also, Matt? I am as well. Ro- you- Arroyo Grande, actually right around the corner from the garage where, where we started. Right on. Point two miles away. Did you go to AGHS? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you did. Yep. Mm-hmm. And I did. That's awesome. <laughs> um, so it, it all kind of began how I met you was through um, Six Test Kitchen, your restaurant. Mm-hmm. But I met you when it started in your parents' garage, which is just the most punk rock, amazing start to a restaurant yeah. ever. Yeah. Can you describe maybe going back a bit further? Um, when did you get into food? Um I worked at Rosa's when I was 13 or 14. Um, before that, my dad, because my dad builds kitchen hoods and stuff like that for mm-hmm. restaurants, um, there was a place that is now Giuseppe's Takeout Place mm-hmm. uh, that was called Culinary Spirits. It was like a little market and deli. Yeah. Um, I was the dishwasher there when I was 13. I was paid under the table because I was not old enough to work. Mm-hmm. But my dad got me the job because I, I don't remember why, but I wanted to work in a restaurant. I don't remember uh, at all why. And I got a I got a job there as a dishwasher. And then once I turned 14 and was legally allowed to work, I quit. I think I just said I quit. Mm-hmm. I didn't like know how to quit. <laughs> so I think I was like, yeah, so I'm not going to work here anymore. I got a job at Rosa's. And then I was a prep cook at Rosa's through high school. And then went to culinary school when I was 18 in San Francisco. That's amazing. I tended bar at Rosa's. Really? For a summer. And that's a very loose, I tended bar. I mean, I just <laughs> kind of stood behind the bar and messed up lots of margaritas. Yeah. Um, no one cared. No, <laughs> nobody cared. Um, yeah, but that's an interesting place to start because it's so, I, so many people have started there, actually. Yeah, yeah, it's an institution around here, I think. Yeah, yeah, I ate my um, weight in bread loaves, I think. Yeah. That was happening. Um, what about you, Matt? Where does that come from, the food thing? So, you know, looking back, before I even knew it, I, I watched, watched a lot of Food Network. I'd, like, fall asleep to that, you know, in middle school and high school, but didn't like consciously know um i was interested in doing that and then first restaurant 
more or less was a splash cafe as a dishwasher. Oh my gosh! And you know, Pismo represents. Yeah, it was the it was the downtown slow location. Oh okay, and got it. Yeah, I it was uh, you know I showed up and I I wasn't drunk so quickly got promoted to being a cook there, <laughs> and then did that for you know a little bit and then Granada Bistro was right across the the way there and eventually just moved across the street and spent a few years over there. Right on. Then, uh, am I right in thinking, didn't you go, did you go to Mexico at some I did, point? yeah, just before this job. Yeah, so I did some kitchen internships down in Mexico City. Right on. To, you speak Spanish? You have to, uh, right? En- enough, yeah, yeah. That's interesting. What was the name of the restaurant you were at? The, the, uh, there was one that so was... So, Maximo Bistro. Yeah, okay. Mm, yeah. Right on. Um, and then, Ricky, when you went off to culinary school, you were in San Francisco, and you did some cool externships, I think, didn't you? Um, while I was in school, I got a job at Postrio. I worked at Postrio for, I want to say, like a year and a half, throughout school, and then out, like, once I graduated. I did my, my internship there. Um, normally, those, are f- those aren't paid, but mm-hmm. since I had already had a job, I just kept working, and then I think I had to, like, turn in paperwork once a week, proving that I was doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, I worked there for about two years, and then op- helped open this restaurant called Fish and Farm, which was a total shit show. Mm-hmm. Um, the owners just, you know, like it was just kind of the classic, like work your, work your people really, really hard and don't pay them at all. And I, uh, I worked there for like three months. We opened it from the ground up and it was just like our refrigerators didn't work. And the owner's mm-hmm. like, Oh, we'll just put ice in it on everything. Oh God. I mean, it's a hundred, it's, Six hundred to a thousand dollars to repair a refrigerator, depending on how bad it is. Like, mm. you know, do what do what's right. So I actually told the owners, I just was over it, and I was like, I'm I'm quitting. So uh, today's my last day, and that was the second job that I quit on the spot. I knew what I was doing when I when I quit <laughs> that place. Uh, so I quit there and went back to Postrio and worked like fish station because I. Uh, I told the chef I wanted to work fish station. That's the only way I'll come back. So he, he hired me at a higher pay for me to come back and work fish station. And then, um, I kind of stodged around at a lot of places. There was a place called fifth floor. Um, that was Laurent Gras restaurant. And I think Melissa Perello was the chef de cuisine at the time. Um, but it was like this, it was the first restaurant that I had that I had been in that was a Michelin star restaurant and mm-hmm. it was like you know they had like the 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 rugs on the ground like it was just super quiet super small mm-hmm. kitchen like marble countertops it was like when I saw that and I like worked one of those dinner services I was like oh this is really really where I want to be and mm-hmm. I think I staged there like every Friday for a few months and I just kept going back and like to the point where I almost had a station there on yeah. on the days that I was coming in, um, and actually did the same thing at Massa's until they hired me. I just wouldn't leave until like I was I wanted the job and I just I knew the only way to get the job was to just be annoying and don't stop showing up. Keep showing up. Yeah. yeah. The quiet thing is that that's like your preferred way to work. If that's it's just to focus. You. Yeah. It's just making like you know you're not. I was so used to like, you know, people putting salt in each other's drinks and, you know, just kind of messing around and like just being kind of dumb and unprofessional. And then I like stepped into that place and it was like everybody was laser focused, Mm -hmm. dead quiet in the kitchen, no talking at all. Mm -hmm. And it just like, it felt like this is like a, this is a career. This isn't like I'm not just a line cook in this place. Like this is a step towards like a career path. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I recently got, uh, I don't know if you know this, but a Cal Poly student interviewed me about Michelin stars. Did you know about that? No. And they asked me about you and they said, um, this, this student journalist was like, so tell me about six desk kitchen. I was like, okay, I'll tell you what I know. Um, I'm surprised she didn't get in touch with you. What was her name? Oh. We had we had a Capoli crew. Okay, it was yeah. like an Italian first name, like Angelina or something like that. Sophia? Sophia. I don't know. 
Well, interestingly, so she's like, why should I care about a Michelin star? And I said, well, I mean, it's like this indication of a real focus and um, mastery. You know, it's like a level of mastery and attention and care that you just... I, I mean, I the Michelin star system, at least at one time, was like, you know, it's set up by Michelin, the, the tire company, to encourage people to get out there mm-hmm. in their cars. And so, I'm sorry if I'm telling you stuff you already know, but I don't think listeners know that the first star, one star just means like, it's worth stopping on your way somewhere. If you're going to, say, Paris, and you're passing through this area, then you would stop at this restaurant um two stars means that you would um like do a little detour to get to a restaurant on your way but then three stars is like make a special trip for this place so i explained that to her um but then she said she asked me something about the style of food that you do and i said well it's not like anything anywhere else anywhere nearby Mm -hmm. am i right yeah i think so yeah yeah and um she said, I know it's expensive. Why should somebody go there? And I, I said, and I hope this doesn't discredit what you do, but I said, you kind of have to treat it like an experience, not like just going out for dinner. You're not going to like a pasta place. That, yeah. um, you know, you're going to get big portions and to fill up and to like cheers and be crazy. And it's not like that. It's more you're going to have, it, it is in a way entertainment, along with um, being fed, but it like engages your mind, it engages all your senses. Um, does that feel accurate? Yeah, I mean, I think a huge part of it is, you know, like, you don't just decide you're gonna go eat there. Yeah. It's, you know, it reservations sell out quickly, so you have to be prepared, and, you know, there's a lot of preparation to to getting a reservation and and to dining at the restaurant. Um, So, yeah, I mean, we're ultimately going for two stars, and I think we're kind of set up in that path. I don't think we're there yet. Mm -hmm. Um, We won't know until we are. Mm -hmm. Um, But, yeah, I think that it's it's definitely like a sensory experience, and that's that's intentional. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm jumping all over chronologically but um so you started you decided to leave san francisco did you want to come back to ag um no not necessarily but i was i was tired of san francisco like the like just rent was rent was super high my girlfriend at the time and i broke up and so it was like she we broke up and then she went to like Nicaragua so I had a place to stay for like a month mm-hmm. and I was like what am I going to do after like when she comes back I don't have a place to live and like I'm not going to I can't afford to live here anymore and I'm kind of tired of like I had a stage set up at Lazy Bear I got on the bus went like one block and was like this bus line doesn't run at one o'clock in the morning mm-hmm. so I'm not going to be able to get home from work And that was when I was like, this is not a sustainable place to live for me anymore. And so I think moving home was more of just like kind of last resort, like I'll Mm -hmm. I'll move home and then kind of figure it out. And, um, no, no thoughts of starting your own thing at that point. I had put in some resumes at places and then was just like, I don't really want like I don't want to be told what to do anymore mm-hmm. and kind of I, I think I put in a resume at foremost mm-hmm. and then was just like I started kind of kind of the same thing I like put in the resume and considered going to a stage and it was like I, what am I going to go stage there for so I can be the meanest person in the kitchen because like I don't agree with the way things are being done and then I get fired because I'm mean (laughs) you know and like so that was kind of because that's where I came from you know like Mm -hmm. if you don't do it right then like move on you know someone needs to take your place and that was kind of my mentality moving here and Mm -hmm. so the idea of working for somebody just didn't really seem to work so 
when I was living in San Francisco, we were doing, um, I would do private dinners for people for parties of six. I'd go to their house. I was working at Spruce at the time. Mm -hmm. Um, So on my days off there, I would prep at the restaurant and then pack everything up and then take it to somebody's house. And I would do like an eight or nine course menu at their house. Um, Six people was, was manageable. And so that was when we decided to open in the garage. Before we decided to open the garage, actually, I was planning on having kind of the same thing, like having that kitchen be like a commissary Mm -hmm. and doing dinners at people's houses. But then that didn't really seem to make a lot of sense long term, because in order to do that, I have to see every single kitchen I cook in. Yeah. To plan a menu yes, around that. Especially for the style. If you're doing the same style of cuisine for these, that would yeah. be tough. Yeah. Because some kitchens don't have electricity. And if they don't have electricity, then, like, you know, you can't use a blender. You can't, right. you know, there's a lot of limitations there. Um, so then the conversation turned into well, why don't we turn this into, like, a private dining room kind of thing? And so that's how. That's how it started. And by we, you mean you and my, your parents. My dad and yeah. my mom was hard to convince, but she eventually had no choice. <laughs> I mean, your parents, I, I, you deserve every bit of accolades that you get. I would also add that your parents have been a key... Massively supportive. A key part. I mean, not just in AG, but also in Paso. I met your dad one mm-hmm. time and he's just so... Um, Supportive, like it's nothing to him, and maybe I'm, I'm of course, am seeing that from the outside, but um, yeah, just such a a supportive. Yeah, family. I mean, they've always been like that, and it was funny when I called them because I I got an email, uh, or maybe it was a DM from like the director of Michelin, and I was like, that was when in June, June or July, yeah. And, I, I mean, it was like, they don't reach out to you unless they have really good news. Hmm. <laughs> and so I, like, called my mom and, or I called my mom and my dad, and I told them, and, or I maybe texted them or something, and my dad calls me, like, a day later, and I was like, so, is that Michelin thing a big deal? And it's just funny that, oh, like, he it. is so, so, like, blindly supportive of what we're doing. Mm. And when we, you know, started kind of, like entering that that world of like you know we we are potentially up for a michelin star like once we started that part of the journey he was just so unaware of what that even means but he was like i think i should be excited about this for you it's just it's so cool he has like just complete blind support Mm -hmm. what's his first name again gary that's right gary odbert is a saint we should make him like a little icon (laughs) gary odbert the saint um when you did start up in the garage, it was a legit garage, right? Were cars parked in there? I th- no, I think it was like just kind of a bunch of shit, stuff, just like yeah. boxes of stuff that no one cares about anymore, and yeah. a water heater. Like it was just storage. It's amazing though that they gave that up. What does it look like now? Same. It's back to its original form. Is but it really? Wow. Well, in the sense that it's just a bunch of stuff, yeah. Mm-hmm. But it's like stuff from tearing out. Because I think my dad wanted to turn it into an Airbnb. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think he's turning the bath. I think he is putting a shower in there. But <laughs> so it's just like a, it's just a bunch of stuff again. Like yeah. it's just a. I don't think you could put a car in there. Um, if anybody didn't have the chance to go to the Arroyo Grande version of Six Test Kitchen. I mean, I will just describe from my perspective, it was a totally residential, I mean, like nothing commercial about it around. Um, And walk up, it looks like a completely normal California ranch home. And then there's this tiny little sign that's illuminated that says six, and it shows you that you're walking into the garage. You know nothing else. which is probably why a lot of people considered it like a speakeasy, Mm -hmm. you know, and walk inside and it is a full, a fully like stainless steel chef's kitchen with a commercial kitchen with a counter. And at the time you had a bunch of persimmons hanging, I think, Mm -hmm. um, 
just so intimate, but no question about it. Like this is a professional place, uh, very much a world away from where we were geographically. Um, and what I remember of the food was really thoughtful, like really thoughtful. Thoughtful doesn't even really begin, actually. It's almost like obsessed over. Would that be accurate? In some cases, yeah. Yeah. I mean, we definitely are picky about what we're doing. <laughs> and the, the thought process going into creating a dish and then the tiny little tweaks that we would do mm-hmm. over the course of sometimes weeks to get it to where we want. The point yeah. of, like, we're changing it until we're ready to even just change the dish. So it's just a constant forever evolution. Yeah. Um, Ricky, you've mentioned you didn't want to be the mean guy in the kitchen. It's funny because you... I. I think that you fancy yourself a mean guy, but I think you're actually a really nice guy. <laughs> yeah, I'm not like that anymore. No. no. Well, I think you're a driven guy. Yeah. But then I look at Matt, who's like always smiling, <laughs> always just like open. You guys make a really, actually a really good pair, compliment one another, yeah. I think, really well. I want to take a minute to shout out to a couple of good friends of this podcast. Consumed is sponsored by Mid-State Containers, Cargo Storage Containers, and Refrigerated Shipping Containers for sale and rent in California. You may not understand how Mid-State Containers could change your life, but the truth is, many, many guests on the Consumed podcast use Mid-State for their projects. Containers can serve as wine storage units for case goods, for private collections, and even tasting rooms. They can be refrigerated storage containers for breweries, kegs, and fruit during harvest for wineries. Mid-State Containers outfits coolers and freezers for ranchers, farmers market growers, orchards, and butchers. Containers can make great pop-up coffee bars and berry containers for root cellars. My guest from Season 10, Krista Flieger, from Lonely Palm Ranch, uses her Mid-State Container for an office on her property. Other ideas include schoolrooms, music and photography studios, and there are other things that can be grown, stored, and processed in a Mid-State Container, so use your imagination and get on their website to request a quote, midstatecontainers.com. Slow Life Magazine also sponsors the Consumed Podcast. Slow Life looks at what's going on in San Luis Obispo, including the arts, real estate, business, and the people impacting culture here. For the magazine, I just wrapped up my food column on crepes, which you may know as a French street food, but did you know that every February 2nd is the day of the crepe? In France on that holiday, people try to flip a crepe in the pan with their non-dominant hand, and if they do it, they're guaranteed a year of prosperity. See? You can learn so much from Slow Life Magazine. Get your copy at slowlifemagazine.com. Tell me about one of the dishes that's been a favorite of yours, one that you're really proud of. That's tough. That's tough. I think using the Morro Bay oysters, uh, that's kind of yeah. a new thing we've been doing the last couple of months. I live in Morro Bay, so I pick them up, you know, once, twice a week and then bring them there. We're using, you know, fresh, literally out of the water that morning oysters, which is incredible enough. You yeah, know. right. Um, but we just kind of change around little couturement and toppings for that, which is really special. Mm-hmm. It's kind of a fun way to start. Yeah. I, I think I, the caviar and bacon is pretty sweet. Caviar is pretty cool. <laughs> what is that? It's... Uh, sous vide egg yolk so it's like kind of like an egg yolk jam on the bottom and then a relish made from um some bacon that we made that was cured with uh rice koji so it's like really really savory yeah um and then we cook that down with onions and bell peppers and then grated katsuboshi which is uh smoked fermented uh bonito that was Mm. caught off of the coast of morro bay brought to me like an hour after it was pulled out of the water and it's mm. never been in the refrigerator it's just oh. like a smoked block of, of essentially like tuna belly mm. so we grate that into it so it has like this kind of funky smoky um kind of you know fishiness to the to the marmalade and then on top of that is just a huge cut ca- like a huge pile of caviar and mm. then uh hollandaise sauce with smoked uh a mix of smoked beef fat and bacon fat and then it's uh whipped with nitrous oxide so it's like a pillowy cloud of hollandaise oh my gosh 
That's outrageous. <laughs> it's pretty good. Yeah. I think I like that one a lot. That might be one of my favorite. That's dishes. like all of the most luxurious things all kind of at Yeah, once. but it's a little trashy too, which is kind of like <laughs> what we do. Like we, I like using stuff that's like nostalgic. Someone the other night said something about, they're like, please don't be offended, but this dish reminds me of like, and I think it was like macaroni and che- like it was something that was so off of what it was, but mm-hmm. I was like, oh, that's really cool. I didn't like, okay, I like that because it kind of like, I like evoking like a little bit of nostalgia, even mm-hmm. if it's just like this reminds me of like Fruit Loops or yeah, yeah. You know, we've definitely done a, a broccoli casserole dish before. Oh, yeah, okay. Vel- Velveeta cheese sauce on it. Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing, but sourced from like the best possible. Yeah, spots, yeah we were right? using we were using like white cheddar, and then we make like a you like blend it in the blender with uh, potassium citrate, and then milk and cream. So it basically has all the texture of Velveeta. It melts like Velveeta, and it's like elastic, and but it's made with good cheese. But it is right. in every way the same texture as Velveeta. Where did that? Um like playing with, I don't know what better word to call it, but chemicals. I'm not, what yeah. would you call it? Like the periodic table of elements I mean, or what is it? <clears throat> you play with different things to change consistency and texture. Yeah. I, I mean, they're food additives, but they're, you know, we're not using, we're not using anything like wild or like harmful. Mm-hmm. It's mostly just, I mean, like the quantities of things that we use are so small. Um, I think maybe the weirdest one is, no, it's sodium citrate, not potassium citrate. That might be kind of the the funkiest one, but we don't use it that often. It's Mm -hmm. just like, it improves the texture of melted cheese. Okay. It makes melted cheese, um, it's a super strong emulsifier in dairy. So it keeps it from breaking. Yeah. So like if you melt cheese and then cool it down, it's not the same ever again. Yeah. But with uh, sodium citrate, it changes the texture of it but it melts and cools and you can remelt it and it just like how Velveeta works. Okay. How did you know that? I don't know. Maybe like the Alinea cookbook a long time ago. Yeah. Did you ever eat at Alinea? Mm-hmm. Twice. Okay. Before you started six? Um you went once. Once I think, before during when I on my on my twenty third birthday and then also on my 30th birthday mm-hmm. so we had we had opened in the in our current location I only ask because I that. I wanted to know you know what inspires that kind of that's that's a whole different kind of cuisine it's a yeah. whole different kind of cooking yeah it's it's very experience driven and it's not all good it's not always like delicious hmm. but I mean you're getting like 25 courses and you really can't you can't guarantee that like i i can't even and don't guarantee that every dish that we're gonna put up is gonna be to everybody's liking mm-hmm. i mean you, that's what you try to do but you know everybody's tastes are different for sure and isn't and there's also a place for something i i think in a restaurant like yours i think there's a place for something that isn't necessarily like Num 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 num, but is it's evocative and it's it like challenges you. Um, I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, like we've done chicken liver forever, and you know, chicken liver is one of those things that people either really love it or they're just so turned off by the concept of it that they don't like allow themselves to really enjoy it. Right? Maybe they just don't enjoy it. I think I had it, and I think I loved it. Yeah, Yeah, you've had it. Every time you've come in, yeah. for sure. I can't actually, I can't think of a single dish that I haven't really liked. There was one in particular, gosh, what was it? We poured something over the, t- oh, we poured an egg yolk into something. I remember that being oh. phenomenal. It was like a toasted Dang. grain or. Yes, that's yeah. right. Yeah. yeah. Throwback. <laughs> what was Deep it? Deep cuts, oh, yeah. I was in the garage. <laughs> that was, uh, it was like grains with. Like crispy white kimchi, I think. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes, and it was wonderful. And then cooked egg yolk. Yep. But we kind of cooked it ourselves in a way. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, Matt, I don't mean to leave you out. I've, no, uh, no but worries. I know you have a whole trajectory all your own. Um, when, 
you didn't start at the beginning with the garage kitchen. Yeah, so there's an employee that was working with Ricky previous to me who he went to Oregon High School as well. Nice. Super small town. Maybe I could even work <laughs> yeah. there. <laughs> um, so he was leaving. He helped Ricky start, and then they got kind of shut down, and then... Right. Um, yeah, he told Ricky he was leaving. I was in Mexico at the time, and I'd been talking to this, you know, that Ricky's coworker at the time, and he kind of rec- recommended me. Mm-hmm. And I was not planning to move back here. I was planning to move to some bigger city and, you know, work through the scenes right. there. But he reached out um, right as I finished up my internship and I was coming home for the holidays. And then, you know, said I'd meet him. And then, like, the day before I met him, Santa Barbara Independent article came out just a really cool article. Ketman, Matt yeah. Ketman. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. 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 So that got me super pumped. Mm-hmm. And then we, we chatted the next day I came in for kind of a, a little stage trial. It's a weird, I mean, I was, yeah. Offered so we, a job to cook out of a garage. It's just, uh, you don't even know how to like yeah. what that means. Yeah. Um, and yeah, chatted with them next day, came in for an interview or kind of a work, work interview. And then the following day started full time. And that was, mm almost five years ago now so wow yeah crazy you know, am i right in thinking your job has kind of changed yeah i haven't been in since it changed totally okay. yeah so i've you know i still dabble a little bit in the kitchen but i've really backed off i'm running the wine program now so beverage okay. director and sommelier and yeah front of house yeah <laughs> what's your experience with working as a som or is it just something that you're like you know what i can do this so that's what it started out was you know we, we had a different beverage director at the beginning and i think between us and that individual, there was kind of a mutual understanding that just wasn't a good fit. It wasn't working out. Um, so we had been kind of talking amongst us that I was, you know, eventually going to take over. I've always loved wine. My brother-in-law is a winemaker. So I've worked two wine harvests with him by that time. And then always just kind of was reading about it and kind of studying. I think when we opened this restaurant, I had kind of started studying for sommelier exams because like, oh, it'd kind of be cool to have like a second psalm here. Yeah. And, you know, wouldn't hurt. So definitely when I took over, in over my head. Like, yeah. yeah. It's a lot. And I mean, I think it's, you know, a career or just the knowledge any wine professional has every day. They know, they know more than they did yeah. the day before. So, you know, in two years, I'll look, up, look back on what I'm doing right now, which I'm very proud of and be like, man, like, <laughs> there's just it's, it, there's no way, limit to how much you can learn. yeah yeah especially as you're you know opening bottles and pouring I mean every time you open something totally. and pour it you learn something yeah yeah, yeah. Um, I was going to ask you about oh yeah so we've kind of mentioned and and we do edit this if we have to um, are we allowed to talk about when it got shut down yeah okay so <clears throat> bouncing back to AG version um, I know that you were just Holland, everything was great, and then all of a sudden, yeah, we had. I think we were open. That was like in February. We opened in November fourth, twenty fifteen. So I think in February or March, twenty sixteen, um, we had just started getting kind of some momentum to where it was becoming. It was. It was pretty clear this was going to become like a full-time job Mm -hmm. i think we were at that time open almost every day that we were open Mm -hmm. so we were open we've always been four days a week and i think we were maybe doing three um, which was a huge improvement from before and we were prepping we had we had the whole week booked out and then like a couple sporadic ones for the following month and then we were prepping it was like three o'clock and then like we had just put bread in the oven and then mm-hmm. and then the, the raid happened yeah and then like they you know <laughs> oh, they just showed up they showed up they like just walked in no warrant like we were cooking methamphetamines but we were just baking bread just two good boys and yeah just the health department was there the fire department the police department the no, building department. The fire department yeah and the the fire the fire chief and like everybody that there were two firefighters that once everything was all said and done and it was clear that we were no longer in business the guy shook my hand was like i don't know why we're here and then left um but yeah that that kind of was a can of worms because we ended up 
not being able to reopen for like eight months because they wanted us to pull permits on like everything. Like we had to have like an architect come out. Like it was like, it was such a huge waste of, of money and time and, you know, just that's how that stuff kind of works. But yeah, so we were closed until I want to say August of 2016. Mm-hmm. And then that was just kind of, that was hard to like, to be excited about real. I mean, we're obviously excited about reopening, but it's like, how did we start this? I don't like, you know, you don't remember how that works. And so mm-hmm. you're having to, it was so long that it was like, Oh, I think that place is shut down. Like it's, it doesn't exist anymore. So no one's looking for it anymore. Right? So we're like, we're starting over again. And, um, that was super, super frustrating. And the public doesn't know that it was a, you know, a health department raid necessarily. All yeah. they know is it doesn't exist anymore. And there's kind of maybe a perception that it failed, didn't go very well. Yeah. Like the area can't handle that kind of cuisine. Um, yeah, that must have been frustrating. And you had just so I left had a it, job to be there, or left Mexico. No, he hadn't started yet. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, I kind of hopped on right on board once you know things were pretty much in full swing. Oh, I think okay. once I started, it was like after a couple of months, we were sold out just yeah. forever. Yeah. Mm. Okay, so you had six seats mm-hmm. at the AG kitchen, hence the name. Um, and where does the test come from? That was, uh, it didn't work. It was the, it was the only way that we could not be a restaurant because we didn't want to give ourselves like a name that made it sound like it was a restaurant, but test kitchen sounded more like kind of secretive of what we were doing. I don't know. Like the idea was to not put a target on our backs, which didn't work out. Yeah. But it makes it almost almost like a cooking school or that, something. Yeah, because when we reopened, it actually came back into our favor because when we reopened, the health department was super helpful. And they were mm-hmm. like, you can... She, I don't remember what her name was. She printed out or emailed uh, just a list of options of what we could do. And a lot of them had a lot to do with catering, which I have zero interest in yeah. doing. Mm-hmm. But one of them was that we could basically make it a cooking class yeah. that people pay because they're they're paying for I there's some like you're either paying for the food or you're paying for like the experience and the food is a part of that that's yeah. not what you're paying for like just words scrambling yeah. yeah and uh, so it was a it was essentially the exact same legality as a like as a dance lessons or a, you know piano class that is so funny yeah what made you decide to move to paso then if everything was going pretty well well i didn't want to live at my parents house anymore i was what (laughs) i was approaching 30 and um we opened it like i opened it with with the intent of eventually closing and and opening a brick and mortar if it worked Mm -hmm. um at the time we were looking at a house in ag that was at the beginning of the village. I don't know what street that is. Just um, the village. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like a little green or like a little like white and green house. Um, and we were looking at it. It was, it's been for sale since I was a kid and mm-hmm. we walked through it with the broker and it was, it was a tear down that was a historical building. So you couldn't tear it down mm-hmm. because it was just yeah. dilapidated. Yeah. So that kind of, it wouldn't have really made any sense financially. And then while we were kind of going through that idea, Andrew Jones from Field Recordings came in to dinner for his second time and was like, hey, if you're ever interested in Paso or moving to Tin City, I have a bunch of spaces that are available mm-hmm. or like empty. And we're, you know, I'm happy to like move some stuff around so that you can take some space from one of our buildings. And so I didn't really, I didn't care about Paso. I just really? growing up in AG, like Paso's just hot. Yeah. <laughs> like Bar. that's what, that's what I think of as Paso is like cowboys and it's hot. It's funny though. Cause I, my perception. <laughs> and we can confirm that too. <laughs> and we can still confirm it. It's still true. It's still cowboys and it's still 140 <laughs> degrees in the summer. Um, I thought that maybe you targeted it though. No, I didn't it's even. it's not an obvious 
It's not an obvious move. I did not even know Tin City existed. Um, then I didn't know who Andrew was. And so I drove up there, and then he showed me, like, six different spots, and one of them... So, like, the Negrantes wasn't there. We walked Mm -hmm. through that one. The olive oil place that's next to it, um, they weren't there yet. That building was still, like, exposed. Like, I don't even know if there's electrical in it yet. There's a lot of changes going on right around the time you would have been looking, I know. Yeah. Eto wasn't there yet. That whole, Eto's building wasn't there yet. Um, So we toured everything, and then we went back to that one spot where we are currently, and there was was a rear entrance, which would eventually become our entrance. Mm -hmm. There was a garage door, which at the time I thought was like, well, it'll... You know, we're in a garage now. This is a garage, and I, you know, that's not even a thought anymore. Mm-hmm. It's just that there's a garage door that leads to our wine cellar. Um, but the way the building was laid out, um, with the the way like the positioning of the beams, the the steel columns, it ended up being perfect for 1,100 square feet if we just like built it within those parameters. Yeah. Um, and it had everything we needed. The rent was good. You know, the landlord's very, very cool. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, so it was like, I don't really remember what started that. I think I just, we invited Mike English in for dinner to kind of get him excited so that he would help us build it. Yeah. And he was like so thrilled. And I think at the end of that, we were like, you know, I think we just started conversations with how to how to how to begin i think it's such a good fit too um again it's non-obvious non-intuitive really for like if somebody's coming to paso and they want to dine maybe they i almost use the word highfalutin i don't mean that in a disparaging way i just mean like somebody's in the mood for something very intentional um they they're not gonna think Tin City, right? Right. Which is part of the beauty of it. Yeah. It kind of weeds out non-serious. You kind of do weed out people who aren't maybe ready for that. Yeah, and most Tin City uh, businesses close at like five thirty or six mm-hmm. when we open. So it's a desert when yeah you know when people are coming in and it's dark. And there's like a million cats running around. I don't know where the cats come from, but there's cats everywhere. Uh, it, it's like the it's the best and worst location for a restaurant you can imagine. <laughs> totally, is. which is what I wanted. Yeah, right. It's hidden. It's you know not easy to find. That mm-hmm. pisses people off. Mm-hmm. Um, so we've tried to give people as much information as they possibly can before coming into the restaurant um, about how to find us. But yeah. you know. And then when you walk in, it's all covered in Jory Brigham, which is just pretty amazing. (laughs) Yep. Yep. Which is pretty, um, yeah, incredible. Once more, I want to give love to a couple other podcast friends. Slow Food Co-op is your friendly neighborhood grocer, maintaining local, organic, and non-GMO standards. Slow Food Co-op sources from local producers, ensuring they offer their shoppers great food and household staples. With a mission to empower health and well-being in the community, they offer local produce, meats, low-to-no-waste foods, and wellness items. You can find Slow's only community-owned grocery store on their website at slowfood.coop and visit Slow Food Co-op in-store at 2494 Victoria Avenue in San Luis Obispo, California. Now hear this. Wine and Spirits Magazine named their top 100 wineries of 2021, and the good people at Native Nine Wines in Santa Maria made the list. Not only are they among the top 100 wineries in the world, they are also one of 10 producers from the Central Coast on that list. So side note, go Central Coast, a tenth of the world's top producers. Native Nine produces Pinot Noir, only Pinot Noir, from organically farmed, minimally irrigated, hand-harvested vines that owner James Onaveros planted in 1997 when he was just in his early 20s studying crop science at Cal Poly University. James grows eight 
Pinot Noir clones on his Rancho Onoveros vineyard, and winemaker Justin Willett shepherds the wine to bottle with a distinct focus on whole cluster fermentation. If you've been looking for the right bottle to share at the holiday table or to gift to a loved one, look for the Native Nine link on the consumed website or visit ranchosdeonoveros.com. Matt, I actually realized you've been to my house before because uh, yeah. <laughs> I you started um, you started making several different moles. Was that a way for you to reconnect back with what you had? Well, in any way, so I bought some and you delivered yeah. them. <laughs> um, yeah, was that a way to reconnect back with with your experience in Mexico? City? So I think so, and you know, I think at the time, yeah, we were already in in pass with the restaurant for a few months, we were kind of just slow. So I had a lot of free time. We were mm-hmm. working, you know, two, three days a week, um, just as we were getting word was getting out. Um, so I just had a lot of free time and we've had done a bunch of different mole interpretations on the menu and, um, everyone always loved it. And, you know, people have said it about everything on our menu. We're like, Oh, you should sell this. Yeah. Uh, which, you know, 99% of the things we were just like, no. Yeah. And even this, I was like, I mean, one of the most labor intensive things, like there was a reason I did it for not that long. Cause it was like, man, I want to go camping for three days and not (laughs) make mole for three days. But yeah, it was just kind of a fun way to, you know, offer the community something that is not really around and available. So no, it's not. And I remember, I think it was like $9. Yeah, for a thing, uh, maybe a pint a or pint. something like that. And I just remember thinking, there's no way nine dollars covers the labor that goes into this. Yeah, there's definitely that. Yeah, but I wanted to like a lot. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I, my thought was I really just wanted to get it in people's hands. You know, yeah. it was less about getting rich, more about just you know spreading some mole and yeah, you know, meeting people. That was that was just as fun as you know as it all around totally chatting with people yeah yeah Yeah. is there any hope of that coming back at some point very unlikely but maybe (laughs) yeah Um, i thought it was so i know yeah i was working with someone on even getting a label like getting it kind of done and getting it packaged up maybe i don't know well it was just handy honestly it was handy to have around totally because all of a sudden i'm like what am i gonna i'm just not a great cook but it having that there it was like oh well, we could do this. Or I will let you that. know. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> Maybe be a good like Christmas present or something like that. Um, what do you see next? Okay, so you told me that you're just booked out. Yeah, it's crazy. Which is so awesome. Well, and we haven't even talked about really this yeah. amazing news recently. So, so the Michelin Guide called you in the summer and yep. said, "What did they say exactly?" So they led. It's it's funny because they. It was a roller coaster ride. It was a ro- an emotional disaster. For Wait, me. and hold on, and I'm going to interrupt you because before that, did you know when the person came? No. Okay. No, we know around the time that they came, mm-hmm. based on the menu that they took pictures of. Ah, uh, okay. Okay. Um, based on the dishes. Um, so they emailed me first. I don't remember what they said. I think they they wanted me to submit photos of our food. Mm-hmm. They got right into it. They're like, yeah, as a restaurant under consideration to be a part of our guide, please submit photos to this link. You go click on the link. There's photos that the inspector took. Um, wow. So that's where we're like, okay, they probably came in in March because this was a particular duck dish we did, you know. Yeah. Um, and then they they wanted to know about what we were doing in terms of sustainability in case, in case we're eligible for a green star as well, which is basically, um, above and beyond sustainability, waste, food waste and all of that just like going nuts. Yeah. Super efficient. Yeah. And, and then the, um, so that happened. I submitted a bunch of photos and, you know, answered the questions, but we're not, we're not trying to get a green star, and I feel like we're so small that it's like, you know, like we go we go through like two trash cans a week. Yeah, your footprint's like pretty small. We're inherently a pretty green restaurant just because we're you know we seat forty eight people a week. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> so after that, I think the uh, the 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 new additions the new additions came out. This was, this was the low point of the of the roller coaster. Yeah, I want to hear yeah. that. Yeah, because we were like, dude, we got a Michelin star, I'm pretty sure. And then, like, we got a Michelin plate. I'm like, 
Okay, that's really not what we want. What's a plate? A plate is... So Bib Gourmand and plate are two different distinctions from the star system. Mm -hmm. They both mean different things. The Bib Gourmand is more of like a value thing. Oh. Like it's like... like under 40 bucks for, you know... Two courses and a glass of wine. Yeah, or a dessert. Got it, okay. And then the Michelin plate is just basically recognition of your restaurant. Like you belong in this... wide category of fine dining or something of just like good restaurants and good cooking um so i thought that's what we got which was like it says we did like when you go on that new additions thing everyone that got mentioned on new additions at the time was got a michelin plate okay so we're like dang yeah we thought that was what we were gonna get and you know which is cool like but it was like you know i really had to psych myself into thinking that it was like well at least they came in you know um, so when that came out, I reached out to Rachel from, uh, from Justin Winery. She and I worked together at Postrio like mm. 20 years ago. Chef Rachel. She's so yeah. nice. <laughs> she's super cool. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's like saw her at the farmer's market and I was like, how do I know that lady? And oh, it took cool. me like months and months and months to remember who she was because we worked together when I was like 18 mm. for like a couple of months. Um, anyway, so I reached out to her to see if the Michelin guide had reached out to them prior to announcing their plate. And she said that they hadn't. And then, so I was like, that's a little fishy. So then I reached out to Oxen Anchor and I don't know anybody from them or from there, but I asked them the same question and they said no. And it was a surprise. So then like the roller coaster goes back up and we're like, okay, well maybe there's something special happening. And because, you know, if they didn't reach out to them, but they reached out to me, then that's, that's something. And then they messaged me on Instagram. The editor of the Michelin Guide. What? On Instagram? <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, I'm getting messed up for you as I hear this. I was just a, like, it was hard. <laughs> so she yeah. reaches out to me, and uh, there's so many things about it. So she reaches out to me and asks if I, wouldn't, if I wanted to participate in a video chat um, that was going to cover California cuisine. Which, in the guide, we're not recognized for California cuisine. Right. I think it says contemporary. So that was a little weird, because it's like the, like the director or the editor of Michelin like wants, you know, why is she wasting her time reaching out to somebody that... Talking know, about a category that you don't really that fit we don't. in. Well, and it, w- it was going to be with two other restaurants that neither of them were already Michelin star restaurants, like thriving in California cuisine. Like if, you know, Manresa was a part of it, we're like, okay, this is Yeah, right. And it's like, who who cares about us? Because no one knows about us. Like we don't have a Michelin star, so why do they care? And so there was a lot of that. And that was maybe, maybe like three weeks before, before we even found out. So that was like, okay, well, this is kind of dumb, but the biggest biggest thing with that was, uh, it said, please sign this non-disclosure disorder. Oh yeah. Seven page NDA. Um, that yeah so we can talk about you know information for the michelin guide that hasn't been announced yet yeah so that got us like you know roller coasters going back up why why would there have to be assigned but then you have the other side of your your brain that you're like well i mean maybe it is just a conversation (laughs) yeah maybe it's it's michelin they're crazy yeah right like they just make everybody sign an nda yeah it was hectic um so then i did that and we had we had it scheduled for i think two weeks after that after that message came out to me. Um, and then before, before that, the person that was going to set up the conversation emailed me and she, she was like, you have to wear a chef coat, you know, Mm -hmm. make sure that you're in well, in like a well lit area. Like, you know, gave me basically the rules and what, what I needed to expect to, to be a part of it. So I don't even wear a chef coat. I like found one up in the attic. Um, (laughs) at the restaurant and so I put my chef coat on and sat in front of my computer and I was super nervous and mm-hmm. and so the, she came on and it was supposed to be at 11 and it was like just a huge like there were technical difficulties the entire time and they're like can you like can, can you guys like one one too many people are logged in so we're gonna have to get rid of one person and it ended up being the editor of michelin guide so she logged off and then like i guess the quality improved or whatever and so we went through and like 
you know, talked about ourselves, about our restaurants, and then they'd be like, oh, actually, that didn't record well. Can you do that again? And the whole time, you know, it's like I'm busy. It was Wednesday, which is our Monday, and I'm just like, this is a huge waste of my time. Mm -hmm. And it was perfect because, like, you know, I tend to get pretty irritable, and so I was very irritated when, when this was all happening. I'm like, all of this, so I can tell them about, like, our, you know, my favorite dish on the menu and hey i asked you that question <laughs> but you're not the michelin guy um, <laughs> wait what no so um yeah so it was just like all of this like back and forth and like you know the video would cut out the audio would cut out and then like she got a phone call and then she's like oh i'm sorry i was supposed to turn my phone off make sure you guys have your phones off and we're like okay so we all have our phones off and then she gets a text message and she's like i'm sorry like, I'm going to turn my phone off now. And then her phone rings, like, 15 minutes later. And then she picks. She's like, I'm sorry, you guys. I have to pick this up. And she answers her phone. And then she's like, oh, chef, this phone calls for you. And then it was. Oh, God, it's like candid camera. What is happening <laughs> Yeah, there? and, like, I'm, I'm so on. Like, I'm on. I'm ready to just close my computer because <laughs> this is a massive waste of my Wednesday. And it's a really important part of the day for us because we're, like, getting stuff started. And so. Yeah. She puts her phone on speakerphone, and, and it was, I, I don't remember. Um, just a representative from the Michelin yeah, Guide. Yeah, this is yeah. the representative from Michelin Guide, and your restaurants have earned a Michelin star. And then at that point, it was like, okay, game's over. Like, we can be excited about it now. <laughs> like, you know, the anxiety is gone. And that was like, I think the week before, when we got, when when she asked me to be a part of that video chat was when I was like, we got a Michelin star. There's no reason they, they don't care about what I think about California cuisine. I think the signed document was really the, yeah, we were pushing on that. That, that was like the, that was the big celebration for me. Like I, that was when I was like crying on the way to work and just like, Aww. Oh my God, we did it. And, yeah. um, but then after that, they're like, Oh, and you know, we just want to talk to you about, about a, a style of cooking you don't do no so there was but yeah it was awesome Your tiny team too it's the two of you and and then we have uh We've expanded we got four now now it's four of us total so, yeah yeah because it was just like a dishwasher and prep help i think i'm the right? dishwasher you are uh -huh. well i mean <laughs> you wash a mean I dish wash a Ricky lot of dishes during dinner <laughs> service. i think at the time it was it was the it was three of us um our staff has changed since then. Mm -hmm. um, Matt and I are obviously still there, but yep. um, we hired David back, who helped us open. Mm -hmm. Cool. He quit in like the first couple of months because we were just we were open like two days a week. Yeah, and so he had to leave, and then we ended up hiring him back on. He's kind of taking on a more sous chef role, and then uh, Christian is from Napomo. Mm -hmm. He worked at uh, Auberge de Soleil in Napa. He like reached out to me super randomly, like out of nowhere, just you know, months and months ago, mm -hmm. just saying, "I'm from I'm from the area, moving back to Templeton. I want to be a part of your restaurant." So he came in and staged and was like a perfect fit. And so That's now it's four great. of us. That's great. That's still a minuscule team. You yeah, know? totally. That's pretty great. Um. That's no, it's not pretty great. It's amazing. The whole thing is just amazing. And and on behalf of our whole community, I don't mean to like embarrass you or anything, but we're so proud to have you here. You. Honestly, I mean, the first one in San Luis Obispo County, this county has moved pretty slowly on mm -hmm. stuff like this. But for you to gamble on us being able to handle it, um, it's pretty meaningful that it's it's made it. You know, not only for us, people are so proud to have it here, but also that it's a, attracted acclaim from elsewhere is pretty, you know, it's remarkable, not just for you, but for us too. Yeah. Um, and for all those farmers and ranchers that you source from, it's big for them as well, you know? Mm -hmm. um, well, what it's, it seems kind of cruel to ask you what's next, but is there anything next? I mean, you, I, we didn't even talk about COVID, which I'm kind of happy not to. Yeah. Um, it's just, I, I'm glad you made it through or that you are mm -hmm. currently making it through. Yeah. Um, I mean, at this point it's really like, I think probably the most relieving thing about the Michelin star is that now we're not guessing, like we now have a yeah. tangible vision and goal. And like before it was like, I think we're doing the right stuff. I think we're doing everything, you know, the, the way it needs to be done. And I hope they come in this year. Now yep. we know that like 
they're coming back and they're going to yeah. come back re- like repeatedly. Um, and if we're eligible for two stars, uh, which I don't think is going to happen anytime soon, it might take yeah. a couple of years, but at least we have a, we, we now have like that in our sites. Mm-hmm. Our conversation, the first two years of in being in Paso opened up is like, how do we, how do we get them to come, you know, see us here? Yeah. Um, you know, you just, you don't, they're anonymous diners. So, you know, we obviously want to be recognized by the guide, but they've never been to this area before. So yeah. what's it take to get them to come for the first time? Do you know that they've never been to Paso before? They have to have come at some point. No, I mean, they would have had, I mean, they may have like been through when they announced, well, they announced the California guide in 2019. Mm. And most of that—that's right. It's very new. Mm-hmm. I forgot about that. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then, like, they may have been through Paso, but I don't. I mean, I don't know. Yeah. yeah. This is the first time they've, you know, addressed it. For anybody who's interested in coming, I've kept you way too long. But for anyone who's interested in coming, I think that one thing that's important to talk about is the wine the way you handle pairings and wine and corkage and all that. So what is this, uh, the status of that right now? So I'd say wine pairing is definitely the, the full experience. You know, we do offer a wine list as well, which is going to have some local producers, a lot of kind of lesser known varieties and regions and, uh, just producers that I really like. I love introducing people to new, you know, totally grapes and wines and regions and, and the wine pairing. We definitely, uh, do that. And, been dabbling with different sherries and sake and oh, different different kind of beverages like that as well. But um, really just exploring all the nooks and crannies of the world mm-hmm. and just introducing people and teaching kind of about some fun but familiar flavors just yeah. in a new in a new way. So so it's not at one time it was only pairings available. Not I don't think you could buy bottles off the list. So you can do that. Yeah, now. we got a we got a full list. Yeah, okay. it's not it's not huge. You know, it's probably sixty offerings, but it's okay. you know yeah, and can just walk any guests through that and help them find whatever you know whatever they typically drink. Maybe you know something in that same style, but from a different grape or region that they've never had. So okay, that's I think that's more than the last time I was in, which was here's the pairing. Um, you know, no substitutions, mm-hmm. um, which <laughs> we should tell anybody who wants to come in, no substitutions, right? Yeah. I, we're, we're working our way away from allowing those things. They just, if you have an allergy, something that's going to kill you, then, you know, obviously we want to be able to accommodate that. But the more that we allow dietary restrictions and the more mm-hmm. that we allow changes to the menu, the more confusing it becomes for dinner service. Yeah. You know, if we had a night, you know, not too long ago where there were like six different restrictions and it's like, we're a staff of four people. That's the biggest thing. And is, you know, it's yeah. like, it's, you know, when you're, you're trying to cook one thing, but then you also are like, Oh shit, we have, you know, this person can have this. And then like, mm-hmm. and then this thing has to be different. And then this thing. And it's like, mm-hmm. you know, that's not, that's taking away from the focus of what we're trying to accomplish, yeah. which is like a unique experience. And the amount of time and, and effort that we put towards dishes is then taken away because we're not, you know, we're not giving you a dish that's like well thought out. Yeah. Yeah. You know, not that this is anything like the same, but my kids are vegetarian. My husband has celiac disease. And so it's just like, it, it kind of, I'm sorry, family, but it saps the joy also out of like, just, being able to be creative and, and like, maybe I find a recipe somewhere. It's like, Oh God, this is amazing. Oh, but I have to do this. And Oh, but, and I'm not even talking at a restaurant level, but it does sap some of the joy of like yeah. pure creation. Yeah. And I mean, we dabbled with the vegan menu when we first opened and I mean, it was, it was fun, but it was more of just like answering people's requests and we did it and now we don't yeah. have to. Well, and, and when we did it, we were trying to, you know, like have like open up our audience to a little bit wider yeah. reach. And it ended up being a bunch of people who eat meat and whatnot. They were just curious to see what our vegan menu would be. And a yeah. lot of them were people that were like regulars. So it was like, <laughs> yeah, we just what, did all what this are you guys extra doing work. here? <laughs> <laughs> they just want to see, I mean, they just believe in what you're doing. Yeah. They want to see what you're up yeah, to. It kind of deflates it a little bit though. Cause you're, you know, you put all this time and effort into a menu that's like doing vegan desserts or, mm. you know, I cook with dairy and they're like, you know, you can argue that flaxseed does one thing. Flaxseeds are not eggs. 
Yeah, right. I'm sorry, vegans. Flaxseed. There's <laughs> no, no there's no substitution the for an egg. Eggs are amazing. Yeah. Um, so putting all of that effort into a dessert that's not just like a bowl of fruit that's mm-hmm. macerated in sugar or honey, you know, like yeah. putting something that's thoughtful and 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 you know hard to to do. And then you have a bunch of people that I mean, it's it's cool, but it was like this was for vegans, and you know, our turnout meant that we don't have to do a vegan menu. No. Yeah, because if you came in last month and you had chicken liver, you're you know you're the type of people that are coming to the restaurant, not people that want a vegan menu. Right, right. You've given me so much time. Thank you. Um, Let me just ask what you would celebrate your life with if you had one last meal on Earth, and what would you drink with it, and who would be there? Matt, you go first. (laughs) Wow, Um, I'd have to say. You know, probably some some al pastor tacos on on a street in Mexico City. Mm-hmm. Just yeah, probably about ten to fifteen of them. <laughs> Go big. Yeah, a couple of beers, but also some champagne. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, probably Modelo. What Modelo in my left hand? Maybe some champagne in my right hand. And I love Modelo, by the way. So yeah, good. it's incredible. So good. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's hydrating almost. So it, it's, <laughs> yeah, it's great. It's good for you. I'm gonna hydrate later. Yeah. 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 Who's going to be there? So, you know, I'd say my girlfriend, uh, you know, probably a few, few animals, you know, just either our, our dogs or just neighborhood dogs just want to be surrounded by dogs. This is last meal, right? Yes, totally. Do whatever you want. Plenty of dogs. Yeah. Yeah. Girlfriend and some dogs. I think that'd be a good, good ending for me there. Yeah. (laughs) That's a good one. Yeah. Um, hmm. I would probably say I love roasted chicken. I love chicken. Like, that's one of my favorite things to cook. So I would probably do roasted chicken um, with just some really, really, really fatty potatoes. Yeah. Potato puree with a ton of butter and cheese. Mm. Um, wine. Probably like Gamay or something or even a bottle of Krug. Probably a bottle of Krug. We've been crushing Krug. <laughs> I think the Michelin Guide really helped us drink a lot of Krug. We drank like six bottles of Krug in like three days. Oh, it's the most worth it hangover I've ever had. What about um, Miller High Life? You guys still drink those? No, we've moved on. Yeah, now yeah. Michelin star. Now you're on. Yeah, crew. we don't need okay. that. We don't need that in our lives anymore. Oh, that's awesome. Um, and my wife, obviously. Yeah, right on. You guys Dude, are no cats. Oh, we I'd talk have, about cats all day long. I would have a lot of cats. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. You guys are hilarious. Okay, feel- well. <laughs> I feel like my love for cats and Matt's love for dogs is like exactly who we are as people. Yep. Yep. I'm reclusive and quiet and Matt's eccentric and that's why we balance each other out. And so I'm, it's a good, it's a good partnership. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you. And, um, let us know when you get Michelin star number two. (laughs) I will. Okay. Thanks. Thank you. That's it for another episode of the consumed podcast. Consumed is produced by me, Jamie Lewis, and edited by Chris Lambert. To learn more about any of the guests you hear on the podcast, visit letsgetconsumed.com. You can also sign up there for the Consumed newsletter, where I share recipes, side stories, and more. Until next time, thank you for getting consumed together with me.